Hey everyone, this is Ray Renati and this is my podcast in the green room. Today we're going to have an interview with Kelly Calico. Kelly is a Bay Area actor and director and producer. She has been doing this for many, many years. Her writing credits include the plays Underbelly, The Meeting, You Are My Sunshine, which I'm going to be in in April. She is directing it, she wrote it, and she is producing it, and I'm so excited about that. Today we're going to talk about that in the interview, as well as so many different things about acting, acting in the Bay Area, New York theater, collaboration, a smorgasbord of acting info. I hope you enjoy it. You know what? That's enough talking for me. Let's just get to it. Here's Kelly. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm great, Ray. Thanks for asking. Good. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to talk with me. Uh, I'm excited to work with you on your your new play again in a real production. How's that going, your production of your play, You Are My Sunshine? Well, thanks for asking, Rain. It's my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for asking me onto your podcast. Um, And I'm very excited to have you aboard uh, the production officially again. Um, the first time it was the stage reading. Um, you know, it's it's great. It's going really well. There's a lot of uh, bells and whistles and things to juggle when you're uh, really kind of initially responsible for the whole baby. Um, so I'm I'm with a, a rather successful writing group in New York, and and you know I get to witness several writers be picked up by theaters and their plays picked up by theaters and produced in that way. And, and, and the great part about that is, is that somebody else takes the play and you get to come to rehearsals and, and they take care of everything uh, in terms of casting and staging and, and costumes and everything. Um, the, the, the downfall of that is that you kind of surrender uh, a, a certain amount of control of your play and, being that I've always been an, an actress my whole life, um, you know, I, I, I like to take advantage of being able to tread the boards as well. So now that I'm also producing it, you know, there is a lot to be considered. Um, and I've been basically working on galvanizing this production going on uh, about three months now. Of course, I've been working on the play about eight years. So We've just got a great stage manager and we've got a great theater now and we've got a great company and uh, we're getting ready to do promotional uh, stuff. So it's coming along. It's coming along. That's a long answer for you. Mm, it's OK. It's all coming together. I know I know it's a lot of work to uh, write, direct and produce a play. Uh, yes, you would, because you do a lot in the Bay Area, I know. Yeah. And but if you're passionate about it, it's. Um, it's what you want to do, and it's uh, it can be fun. <laughs> and you know, it's supposed to be. And yeah. I, you know, when it when it starts to be fun for me, is when I get into rehearsal. Yeah, um, that for me is the really that's really the part that I love. I can't get enough of that. I wish we could. Re- I wish we could rehearse for you know six weeks for this. Um, I just really love that, and of course, I, I love um, the performance aspect of it as well. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is, it is supposed to be fun. And, and in this process, when I'm waking up at four o'clock in the morning and going, holy dot, 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 you know, mm-hmm. this is happening, you know, um, 
I have to remind myself that, you know, I purposely created this year so that around producing this show, you know, I really wanted it to get done. Like you don't know how long you're going to be on the planet. And I really do believe in this play. Um, Not just prejudiced about my writing ability, but I believe in this story and I believe that it it wants to be told. And, and I believe there'll be an audience for it that will uh, really embrace it. Well, let's talk about the story a little bit. Uh, The play is called you are my sunshine. And it's it's about your uh, great grandfather, right? He was a baseball player. It's about it's a yes, it's about it's an ironic title. Um, mm-hmm. You are my sunshine. Um, if you listen to all of the lyrics in that song, it starts off quite beautifully, mm-hmm. and then the kind of the the grit of the song is is actually quite dark. And and I think that that those aspects kind of mirror life in many ways. And so in my family, I grew up with this little rumor that you would hear kind of whispered and the adults would be talking about it. And you, you say, well, what is that? Uh, so you're talking about your great grandfather. Never mind, never mind. But I did mm. get the basic structure of the story. And then when I was living in New York City as a starving, struggling actress uh, at about 27, literally I was walking down the street one day and the story came into my head. And I thought, what, what is that? And loving stories so much, I, I immediately called my mother and I said, what is this story? What is this? Is this true? Is this true? And the story was, the rumor was quite dark. I don't want to give too much away, but okay. it was rumored that my great-grandfather, Ernest Fletcher Hodge, who was a semi-professional baseball player and a pharmacist and also a war veteran, that he committed this heinous crime. Uh, this one hot night in Arkansas that left my grandfather and his brother, Howard, uh, orphans. Um, so my my grandmother, my grandfather's wife, researched the story. And what we found out is Ernest Fletcher Hodge was not this madman that just lashed out and went crazy and killed everybody on this night. Something happened to him. Uh, That was a really bad deck of cards. And through the course of the telephone game of time, um, it was a rumor that became very dark and quite incorrect. Um, and, and, And what I love about this story is that everybody's family, everybody's history has a lot of that inside of it, meaning that we create the truth with our mouth, with our words. And then a lot of the time, it doesn't get investigated past that. So the question mark for all of us is, is this the truth of my family? Was that person the, the, the a-hole of my family? Or, you know, or was that person the innocent one? What is the truth? And I think that's really interesting. Yes, I do too. I think that a lot of families have those secrets, if you will, that get changed over time and blown out of proportion and to get to the actual truth of the matter takes a lot of work and and maybe is never actually entirely possible especially if it was a long time ago that the the things occurred i was just talking to my wife about something there's this rumor in my family about my great grandfather's sister um I don't I won't even get into what it is. What but, is it? Uh, What's the, can you give us a vague? Well, it has to do with incest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but it, um, just because of the subject matter, 
Right. Uh, she it was painted as sort of a persona non grata. And uh, as when I was doing some work on my own ancestry, gosh, 15, 20 years ago, I found out about this. It was a secret in my family that no one had ever told me about. And I also found out that she was still alive in a nursing home. Oh, my gosh. And no one ever went to go see her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And that's the other thing, the the missing, you know, just by a hair's breadth, the Romeo Juliet moment where he doesn't get to her on time. You know, this happens in life so often and it's so painful. And, and in theater, it's, it's deliciously painful in storytelling. But, it, you know, realistically, you know, for instance, uh, Ernest, after he was punished several times, his life kind of took a took a, a downward spiral. But um, a- after he got out of prison for the second or third time, he spent the rest of his life looking for his sons mm-hmm. and he just missed them. He really did. He just missed them before he disappeared. So he could have known my grandfather. He could have known Howard. And and it's like you were saying, you could have gone to this nursing home and, and sat down with this woman. You know, it's painful. Yeah. And I find it really sad. Um, yeah. So I, that's why I really love that you wrote this play. And uh, in the play, in, in a lot of ways, is about truth, trying to find the truth, right? Really trying to find the truth and really trying to understand, come to terms with the fact that I don't really believe there are good guys and bad guys for the most part. We're all driven by our wants and needs and and who and what we love. And I, I you know, there are characters in the play, whether you think Ernest is good or bad, there are other characters uh, like the mother-in-law character that many would think, oh, she is a piece of work, you know. She's mm-hmm. really driven by love. Um, and so that's, for me, what makes compelling characters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. I I really like plays and films that show a person that would e- could easily be shown as the villain. Uh, to actually be shown as a real human being whose circumstances in some cases brought them to a a difficult time or made it look like they were pure evil or or something. Oh, I totally, I mean, really that, I love that word circumstances, you Mm -hmm. know, um, we all start out as these innocent little creatures and then our circumstances and what happens to us, uh, often dictates who we become, you know, I mean, I come from a family of women, you know, who, for instance, my grandmother, you know, sometimes she's bad mouthed because, you know, she's called the B word because uh, I guess when she was alive, she, both of my grandmothers on both sides, they were referred to as these kind of, I don't know if I can cuss on here, but you know, um, B I T C H S. and the truth (laughs) of the matter is, they were women that were not meant to live when they did. They were meant to live now <laughs> when they right. could have choices, when they could head up companies, when they could have power. And instead they were forced into a domestic 
kind of prison that just didn't fit for them. And so they fought that and they became really unhappy people. So this is what's so juicy is, is trying to understand each other for, for these inside of these reasons. You know, we can look at each other and go, well, so-and-so has everything. What, what could they complain about? It depends on what that so-and-so is called to be, you know, deep down. Yeah. Did you learn anything about yourself in writing this play? Um, you know, one of the reasons I started writing the play is that I, you know, I myself have dealt with anxiety um, a couple of times in my life quite, quite deeply. And so part of what bothered me about Ernest was that I thought he was this crazy madman. And so I thought, oh, God, do I have madness coursing through my veins, particularly when I started having children. I thought, oh, my God, am I just going to flip out one night and just kill everybody? Mm. Um, So, yes, I did learn a lot because, first of all, I learned that Ernest is not what we thought he was. And and second of all, by by rote, I came to understand myself and that we can be afraid of anything. But the truth is, is that I don't know. The truth is, is that I'm I'm not mad, and that I and I'm not going to kill anybody, and and I feel really, really sorry for people who fall into that kind of insanity. They do those kinds of acts, you know. But I'm not that person, and so that was that's been kind of a a big life arc for me. Is (laughs) sounds bizarre, but to realize I'm not crazy, you know. No, I think that's a common experience with people. Especially if it's your parents, like if your parents are a certain way and you're a lot different than them, mm. um, it's it's easy for people to fall into the trap of putting themselves into a box and saying, oh, I must be just like my father. Or I must be just like my mother or my well, grandfather, or my grandma. Especially if you're a creative type, I think. Yeah, um, yeah and you have an imagination. <laughs> totally. Like our imaginations, I can, you know, I can just flesh things out so vividly. Um, for myself. So, so yeah, absolutely. And especially I think for people who've dealt with, you know, anxiety or depression, they they sit close to each other sometimes. Um, I can really, if you don't, if you don't know what that is, it can, you can misidentify that as, uh, maybe, maybe I'm slipping, you know, maybe I'm, they're going to find me in in a heap on the floor somewhere, you know? Yeah. 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 Right. So it's been a somewhat of a discovery, a self-discovery exercise too, and you're writing this play, it sounds, which I, th- yeah. I think is, is wonderful. And that's a lot of what, uh, what we do is all about for both audience and actor and writer and director. It's, a, it's, a, it's an art form that allows for that and is sort of, um, gosh, what would be the right word? Uh, not a religious experience, but maybe something it, similar. It is. It's it's Spiritual. definitely cathartic. Um, cathartic, yeah. I kind of feel like, um, you know, I remember the night that I was at a bar with my husband and I said, I'm going to write this play. And all of my plays, I've, I've, I've written about four plays and all of my plays are based on a true story or a true, a true crumb of a story. Um, this story is much more true uh throughout except for the very end because Ernest disappeared and we don't know what happened to him but I've kind of grown 
my I've kind of grown up in my, uh, uh, you know, latter part of my adult life inside of this play because I've been writing it for eight years and and getting to work with all of these actors um, and my creative friends, you know, to have them really have this play pass through their sensibilities and frame it. And, and really their honesty has helped to really carve it. There were aspects of the play that just weren't working. And, and if I didn't have such uh, deliciously honest friends, I, I don't think the play would, would have continued to grow. And indeed, as we go into production, I can foresee that it'll continue to grow. And then, then that begs the question, when do, when is it done? You know, when is it finished? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah. I think I think it's wonderful when a playwright is open to hearing points of view from people they respect, whose opinions they respect, um, and is willing to adapt and change. Uh, because a lot of times that isn't the case, and the playwright might not realize that their play is suffering only because that they refuse to have an open mind. Yes. And, and, and I know that there are both sides to that. I, I know there are your words and I can understand wanting them not to be tampered with, mm. but, but don't you, it sounds like you, as you develop a play, you you're open to other people's impressions and how that might affect the, the end result or the edits that you make. Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I I feel that I have pretty good instincts and I'm, and I am open as a writer to uh, people's ideas and, you know, especially the actors that are playing the roles and, you know, are are these, uh, you know, is, is the, the story of the play, is it getting across to the audience? Are we, are we telling this story in an honest and compelling way? Um, and then at the same time, I, I also feel like when an idea is right from someone else, I immediately know it. It's, I, it's like, that's it. It's like, it, that, it's like, that's always been the right way. We should have been yeah. doing that all along. And reversely, I, when someone offers up something that doesn't suit my vision for the play, I know that as well. And, and you know, and so yeah. that is kind of, that is kind of the delicate balance of it. But, you know, my biggest hope is that, this play, you know, gets to have a life um, past, even past what we're doing at the Phoenix, um, this small rough hewn theater. But I really think that magic is possible in that space. But I hope that it has a life past that and, and it can continue to unravel in other people's hands as well. I really hope so, too. I've seen so many new plays uh, that are just fantastic and then they don't go anywhere it's either because the author doesn't do any marketing (laughs) or promotion i mean because it takes the the author to get it out there totally and spread the word and and some people just have no interest in that um and it's kind of sad because i i have seen a couple of plays that i know could have done well everywhere and um they were never done again so I, I think it's great that you that you want to do that. Um, yeah, I love, how, I love how you were talking about you know in your gut if a, if a, a suggestion that somebody has is is right or not, and I, I think that's I think that's key because you're 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 the one who's telling the story and you know it intimately, and you instantly know if 
the contribution is uh, helpful or, or not helpful. And uh, I think that is um, a great gift to have as a writer. Yes. Otherwise, so. you can fall you prey to, to either. Yeah. If not, you're just you're just adrift out in the ocean, you know, so you you have to be connected to um, some kind of ultimate, uh, you know, it is it's like it's in it's in your gut. You know, you know what this thing is. That doesn't mean that what you have so far is it. It's just that when someone offers something, it's just it's beautiful when it's just like, yes, that. That is it. And for instance, sometimes even as, and as act and as an actor yourself as well, Ray, mm-hmm. you know, I come from a background, you know, very beautifully militant theater mm-hmm. background where, you know, you were expected to take coaching from your peers and obviously your your head coaches and your directors. And and if you thought yourself too good for that, well, then you know, you weren't really that this was not the place for you. And, and, and it kind of begs that question of like, if, if an artist is done and I'm certainly not done, uh, if an artist, if if we're, if we're really holding, if we're in our suit of armor and, and I experience this more as an actress than I do as a writer, um, as an actress, because I'm 47 and I've, I've been around for a while. I I love coaching, but only from very specific people. Um, and I have to be careful of that because I need to continue to grow as an actor, even though I consider myself a, a good one. Um, so I think we have to be careful to let not wear some that that armor whenever possible. Some of my favorite actors people that I've worked with, you know, the unsung heroes that are just amazing regional theater actors. Um, the very, the very best ones, they'll take, they'll take an idea from anybody and they, and they really know how to, they know how to uh, digest that and use it or not use it, but not get a chip on their shoulder. Cause as artists, we're so protective because it's such a delicate sport and it's such a, it's such a uh, kind of a rough existence that we really want to hold on to what we treasure as our identity, you know? So. Yes. And when you're, and when your, your emotions and your words and your ideas are the art itself, it takes a certain savvy or skill or uh, just time in the craft to be able to separate out your own personal feelings from uh something that someone might tell you like yeah and you think it might be better if you said the word this way instead of that way you know (laughs) well and sometimes it's bigger than that i mean you remember uh the the narrate the narrator in the uh the the stage reading of you are my sunshine uh was the 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 great granddaughter character figure of ernest and so you're going back and forth between 1931 1950s all the way to 2005. And I kept hearing people say, what do you think about this, you know, this Gene character of the narrator? Like, what do you think? And I don't know. And I was holding on to her so tight because I was like, no, I, she's got to work. I really want her to work. I like her monologues. But I kept hearing it from people over and over and over again. And I finally was like, you know what? She's not working. She, yeah. this is not our narrator. This is not working. And yeah. because of everybody's suggestions, 
I was forced to really examine that. And if I hadn't had that so many times, I wouldn't have been inspired to write these folk songs for the play. The play is now narrated in Woody Guthrie style. Folks are inspired folk songs. And I think they really work. And I really think that that's going to be a really strong element to help lift the play and, and give it a different kind of identity. Yeah, I think so. Anytime you add music that helps further a story and uh, add a layer to a play, I I think it can be magical. I, I've seen it a few times and it's well, more than a few times, but it, I really love it. I love that. And it's getting and I like it. I've seen some plays recently, too. You're it, we're allowed to be more messy with theater right now. And I think, you know, I saw this play, probably going to say it wrong, 956 or 946 at Berkeley Rep um, last year. And it was this uh, company out of Cornwall. And, you know, I mean, one minute it's a straight play. The next minute they're dance like they're, you know, they're dancing. And the, the next minute there's a band, but because they stayed with story, because they stuck to the story, it worked. So I just think that's so I just think that's so awesome when we can kind of uh, throw mediums around. And it, I, I really believe as long as we're committed to story, we can we can throw anything out there. Yes, yes, this is so true. And it's it's a very good trend. And I, I'm glad that that it's happening now. I saw Indecent uh, Paula Vogel's latest play on Broadway, and it was very much like that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, and a, yeah. Yeah, and I loved it. I just loved it. It it was dramatic. It was funny. All of a sudden, it be, became almost a musical. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just a lot. It it it, be, it made it sublime in a way. Um, yeah, we're breaking a lot of rules. Like I yeah. saw, and so inspiring. And gosh, I think in life sometimes you just pray to get hit by such an inspiration because Lord, we need it. You know. Yeah. Um, but I saw Laurie Metcalf in Doll's House Part Two over the summer, and yes. Lucas Nath is—I just think he's just the dreamiest genius writer of our times. And but that play, I mean, it just breaks so many rules. I mean, at one moment they're speaking very like within a very you know kind of refined period, and the next minute they're just <laughs> effing and blinding and using all kinds of slang. <laughs> And it just, it all works. It, yeah. it, and the audience gets it. All audiences get it. And, and that's what transcends. I mean, that to me is what, a cla- you know, I come from a, I got a, my master's in classical theater, um, which, you know, once you have that, you're going to just work no matter what. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but um Classic, this idea of classical theater that I loved about my graduate program is they really meant anything that's going to stand the test of time. And, you know, so I think anytime you see, you know, like Paula Vogel or you see Lucas Nett, I think these writers are, are, are classical writers in that I really believe their work is going to just transcend time, you know. I think so. And isn't Laurie Metcalf something? I just love her. I'm in love with her and I'm not a lesbian. And I just, I would just, I mean, I would just, if someone asked me, who do you want to have dinner with? I'd probably, I would say Lori Metcalf right now because I don't know how she does it. Like, that's what I love about certain actors. I, 
first of all, I can't see them act. I can see them acting. I can see them acting, but I can't see them acting. They're just so facile at just, I just, you know, I really love, I love having opportunities in life to just completely just go. I bow down to you, man, like (laughs) rock and roll. Thank you for existing. Thank you for showing us what what we aim towards you know well she's able to be totally real and totally dramatic at the same time that's so, right yeah 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 she's able to embody that old school of acting and a more newer style of act you know for one of yeah. a better yeah. you know because like she'll I, have real tears but you know she's playing for dramatic effect in some way to keep you interested yeah. But you're also completely empathizing with her every moment. And uh, I saw her in the quality of life at ACT. Oh, wow. A few years ago. And as soon as I saw that play, I wanted to do it. I eventually did get to do it. I got it produced at a theater down here. Um, wow. Yeah. It was kind of weird. I, I, I was waiting. I had to go to something across the street and I was standing there and they came out the stage door at act i just happened to be like on the corner and they she passed me by and i said oh the great play i loved it it was fantastic it was the last performance and then i was walking down uh o'farrell about 20 minutes later she was with the leading guy and they were in this um like alcove i don't know they were having some kind of intense conversation and then she saw me there again and they thought i they thought i was had been following them. <laughs> Oh my god! It, it was so embarrassing. Oh no! You're like I'm not, but then you can't say I'm not following you because no. then, <laughs> then it seems so even awkward. more weird. Oh, it was just awkward as hell. Uh, so I just thought of it. Yeah, it was. Quite and funny. she's so common and extraordinary at the same time, too. Yeah. You know, and she's yeah. funny. She's. I, I find that some of some of the best best actors are not the ones that everyone knows about. You know, I agree. I agree. I mean, even locally, forever, huh? even local, even in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, I hate to say that, but on, to be honest, I, I I think it's true. Oh, to- I totally agree. I mean, yeah. I you know, as an actress myself, I've I've never been, um, you know, and I've had some real successes as an actress, and then I had kids, and and, and things got a little bit talk about messy, but. Um, but my point is, I never had it out to get all the leading roles. Um, and I, the actors that I love, like I was saying, are the Steve Tags and the Jonathan Dailies and the, 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 to the grafters, you know, the people that just, they, they will act, they will be out there. That's what they do. Um, but that doesn't mean that everybody knows about them all the time and they're, they're not getting, necessarily hired all the time it's a Mm -hmm. it's a funky business i mean i mean i don't know about you i mean i'm still relatively new to the bay area um but you know i just being here and looking at the terrain i swear i see the same four you know actresses in my (laughs) kind of category and i'm just like is anybody else working no that has become a huge problem recently especially in equity theater and yeah. for those who don't know, equity means we're in the union. You're in the union, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's financially driven. It sucks uh, because it, it wasn't that way 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, I worked all the time. And now 
most of the larger theaters or large around here, which are actually more like, you know, medium sized regional theaters or whatever you want to call them. They tend to use the same people over and over and over again in certain age ranges. And and everyone else really doesn't have a chance. Um, I know. And it's it's hard because, you know, when I first moved here from New York about four years ago, um, I was really gunning it and I was really auditioning a lot, you know, cause it was a new area and, and, um, also writing a lot and teaching and, and I got, you know, I got so close to like five different really good contracts. And I was even on the phone with a couple artistic directors. Um, and they basically just said, listen, I mean, I'm a character actress. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I think when you're a character actress, I think that, it's harder because they they have how many equity contracts. And so those equity contracts are probably going to go to their main leads. And it, it's just really, it, it's, it's stifling. You know, I, I think I'm stating the obvious for this area, but it, it is, it, you know, it, and then I just, I kind of stopped auditioning for a while. And then I went and saw Laurie Metcalf and then I thought, nope, I need to, I need to. Act. You got to keep trying. And, and just the auditioning process is good for you anyway. This is true. Um, as long as you don't take it personally, if you don't get the job, right? Um, Everyone takes it personally. No, but you know, to the point where you know, no, I'm just there's some people I'm who kidding. go home crying and devastated, and you know, the uh, I, I mean, I don't do that anymore. I, I don't need. I'm too I kinda, old for that, and and I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I would like to do one or two shows a year. Um, so I'm not looking to reinvent the wheel and, and my writing, I I would really like to keep pushing this theater company. I kind of feel like, I feel like for me, this is, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I just kind of feel like the universe is kind of saying, stop waiting. I I, I have all the equipment I need. I've spent my whole life, um, fostering, um, myself, these skills as an artist and, and a businesswoman and, and I, you know, I, I actually don't need to wait for someone to hire me. And I, and I'm pretty darn good at spotting talent as well. Um, so, you know, I think sometimes, although I do, I really do want to work for some companies in the Bay area. I think sometimes you just have to take, take the, the bull by the horns and, and make it happen because that is what, that's what creates work for other actors. and and. And and it takes those kinds of people to to keep galvanizing live theater. So yeah, well, I think that's how theater keeps reinventing itself from people uh, like you taking the bull by the horns, creating your own work, producing your own work, and then eventually perhaps a new theater company uh, emerges that does something unique, and then the whole process begins again. And uh, yeah, so and I, I think it. That. Yeah, we all take each other though. For instance, the the actor playing Ernest in You Are My Sunshine, he reached out to me about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And he heard about what I'd been doing, he heard about some of my plays, and he really lit a fire. Um I had just been teaching and, and writing and he said, Come on, you've got to you've got to do something with this. And and he really became such a big advocate. And that's not why I cast him in the role. Ironically, he was just right for the part. And I and I have known him and of him for a long time. 
But my point is that it takes each other. Like it takes, it takes all of us, you know, Yes, yes. It, it takes all of us. Like I, and, and that's really what I'm looking for. I, I was one of the founding members of the independent Shakespeare company, which we started in New York and uh, they're now quite huge in Los Angeles. They've been given like the keys to the city and they, they've got a permanent space in Griffith park and, um, David and Melissa have just done an amazing, amazing uh, thing with that company. But uh, what I miss is I miss being in the company of actors. I, 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 I'm a team player. I, I think I'm really, really good at uh, being a member of the team and, and hitting on my strong points within that. But it, it takes it takes a team. So that's what I am trying to to create with this play and hopefully with more after that. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does take a team. If I, if, uh, if anybody out there is not in the theater theater world and is listening to this, there's a tremendous amount of work that goes into producing a play and one person just cannot do it. Uh, it, it takes, it takes everybody buying in 110% and giving, giving it all they have. Um, well, and it's getting the right team together too. I mean, yeah. I I'm feeling you know really lucky that you know we've got uh, Christina and Samo, who's going to be our my co-director for the play. Yeah. Um, did you know she was a good friend? Did you know she was a very good friend of mine? Has has been for quite a while. That's not what she said. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that jerk. <laughs> you had to like, well, come on, Christina. He's he'll be okay. You'll be okay. She has a lot of respect for you and she, you know, she adores you. She was she, the minute, you know, I said you were in it. She was like, Ray, oh my gosh. Yeah, no. And yeah. so, and, and I'm really glad to have a co-director because I, I, I can't, I, I need someone that's going to see this play from a bigger vantage point. Um, and then I just hired a really fabulous um, stage manager um, who's going to, organize us and and you know keep us on our toes and so it's really interesting to be looking at all of the chess pieces come together and and um when i again when i start to have fun is when we get into rehearsal yeah because that's when all the creativity starts right when you start seeing things become come to life and, and all of a sudden something you thought uh, was one thing becomes another thing and and then it and then it grows and it shifts and people bring their own personalities to things and then you see new ways of creating a scene or magic in a scene that you had no idea existed before there were actually flesh and blood humans up there doing it yeah no yeah no kidding i mean that's what's so delicious is like you know not to float your boat too much but when you came in to read for of course you played bucky in the first, the first, uh, stage reading, I think you played another part too, but that was what I, the biggest, that's the, that's the baseball coach, uh, role. But when I had you come in and read, uh, for Mick, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know. I hadn't seen Ray Renati, you know, play this kind of a, a, a character. And when you came in and delivered that, it was, it was like, Holy smokes. Like it was like, I, I wanted to just cast you in in the moment because it was just so clear that you were that you were embodying that and and that's what's so delicious 
And for instance, the actress Andrea J. Love, who I think she just won like best principal actress for Bay Area for, I can't remember what the, I can't remember under what uh, umbrella she won that, but she's a very, very talented young actress. And when she came in to read, actually, she just sent me her picture. And the minute I saw her picture, I knew I was like, that's, that's a niece right there. And isn't that amazing how you just know that sometimes? Yes. And it's not, it's pretty rare, but sometimes it happens and you're, and you're right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I was, you know, I was thinking if she can act, it's, we're done. And then of course, it's kind of like you uh, looking into the alcove at Laurie Metcalf. Like the minute you find <laughs> that, <laughs> the minute you find that person that you're like, oh, holy crap! And I'm a new, I'm a fledgling theater company. I, I believe in myself. I know what I'm capable of. But this actress didn't know me from Adam, and so the minute you find that person and you're kind of overly keen on them. I didn't want to be creepy to her, you know, I was yeah. like you. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the actors, they bring, they bring everything. And, and for instance, Valerie week who plays Irene. Oh, right. um, yeah. She, um, she just, she is that role. Um, she just hits all the points of that role and it's a poignant, beautiful character that she that she creates within that so so yeah you know thank you ray it's so good to talk about the the play with you and to get excited about it you know i I just got done creating uh costume uh outlines for for the for the cast and i'm going to marin theater company tomorrow who who are very generously going to uh, allow us to pull costumes from there because i've taught for taught for them for so long um, so it, it's nice to talk about the juice of the play, um, as opposed to just the lo- logistical stuff. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, you, uh, and you didn't, don't worry, you didn't float my boat too much, but on that topic, <laughs> uh, I think it's really good that you're the type of director who has the vision to say, wait a second. I wonder if this person who on the outside I, let's just take me, for instance, like yeah. seems like a super, uh, you know, kind of laid back, uh, nice guy or whatever. I mean, that's what people usually think. They don't have they don't realize that I can play that sort of volatile, over the top, whacked out dude. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think and, and, and it's this isn't about me, but I think it's it's wonderful that you have the. um the integrity to take that risk and just and listen to your gut and say, Hey, maybe this person is something more than I'm seeing. Uh, I I don't think a lot of casting directors do that. And I I hate saying that, but I don't think they do, (laughs) especially in plays in movies. They do. They always cast. uh, They often cast against type, but in plays, people tend to stick with the status quo. You know? Well, I feel like casting directors, it's part of their job to um, collect, uh, you know, uh, pr- prospective actors for, for a project in very broad strokes. You know, like when I when I went, moved to New York City at 25 and I had my big showcase at a graduate school and I got my first agent and um, it was very clear in our preparation for the big showcase so we could try to get an agent in New York City. 
that we dialed ourselves in to some, even though I hated it as an actor, creative actor, we dialed ourselves into some type. Um, because if you don't present that type, um, you know, in New York at the time and still, then you were in danger of not getting in, not being seen in any box, in any category. Um, yeah. For instance, uh, one of my dear friends, Danny Camille, an amazing, amazing character actor, just uh, just chillingly good. But he didn't look like a character actor. He was a character actor. So he mm. could he couldn't play Romeo to save his life. But, you know, he could play, uh, you know, any, you know, any of these kind of amazing Shakespearean characters, uh, you know, these smaller roles like like a diamond you know yes. and so he kind of missed his boat for a long time in new york and here so you're you know back to talking about your m most talented actors you, unfortunately you kind of have to play the game and, and you know to get into the casting director's favor by typing yourself out which is one of the most uncreative things in the world i know isn't it awful yeah. <laughs> and and you know and i have to admit when I when I'm if I'm directing a play, um, if somebody doesn't fit a type and it's so, a play like Death of a Salesman, and I'm doing it in a traditional way, you know, sometimes I'm forced to cast to type. I can't uh, if, if I'm doing the play traditionally. Say it's not with it, with all African American actors or something. I have I have to think okay does that guy who's playing biff really well do i buy that he's uh you know a high school quarterback um and do i buy that hap is his brother yeah. even though i really want to cast him even though he's his acting is the best i might have to cast a different person um and actors oh. actors don't understand that a lot of times if they've never had to do any casting themselves yeah, casting is a whole. I worked as a casting director's assistant in New York for a few years, and um, it is a it, it is a very interesting animal because you're really assembling a bunch of prospective actors for the director. And what you learn if you stick around in this business for long enough is everybody's trying to make a name for themselves in their profession. So your casting director. They just are trying to save their own ass. They they don't want to present a bunch of actors to a director and he's going to go, what the heck, you know? What? So they really want to be able to pride themselves on this, this juicy collective of actors that they've brought before this director. But at the same time, because of that, it's like you say, a lot of people go miss, you know, you know, I, again, it goes back to that type thing. And, you know, I, I look at San Francisco theater area. I'm still new to it. But, it, you know, in some ways, I feel like there's a lot of room for being experimental um, in, in that regard. But it's just difficult. So I, on, the, on the one hand, I think you don't have to type out as much here. But in a way, you do because you're still trying to tick those boxes of what those characters need. I mean, 
In another conversation, you know, I just met with Melissa, who is the artistic director of Independent Shakes and a really good friend of mine. And and we were talking about this play and they were thinking of doing a production of it there. Um, they don't have the money for it this year, but they she was saying, and this is a big conversation, but she was saying, you know, but if we do it, we, we function, we're all colorblind casting um, and they like to mix it up. And, and I get that, but it raises the question of if you've got a play, for, it takes place in Arkansas and San Antonio. It, I don't know. It just raises the question. Do we, do we, do we cast on talent or do we cast on aesthetics and type and race and everything else. It's a really interesting question for the it is, theater. It's a, yeah, and it, we could talk about that for hours. And yeah. it's something I think about a lot and it's, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. It's very complicated. Yeah, um, it, is. it is. We should probably wrap up. Um, yes. And so can you uh, give us some information uh, about you are my sunshine, the dates, if you, if you have them, I also put, sure. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Um, right. Um, so we're doing a preview April 19th at the Phoenix theater in, uh, San Francisco near Union Square. Mm -hmm. And then we have opening night, the 20th, and then we run the 21st and the 22nd. Uh, and then we run the 28th and the 29th. And that is it. Uh, unless we get huge, uh, huge audiences and, and extend, which is a possibility that we pray for. Wasn't that a lot of fun talking to Kelly? She's so talented and so devoted to this new play. You are my sunshine. I'm really looking forward to being a part of this in April. If you have a chance, come out and see it at the Eureka Theater. We have a preview on 419, like she said, April 19th, and then we're going to run through April 29th, and maybe even longer if we get some good audiences. Who knows? Anyway, thanks for uh, listening today, and I hope you have a fantastic week. The new year's started, so these podcasts are going to be weekly once again, now that I don't have Christmas and New Year's to deal with. And until next time... I will see you on the boards. Ciao, everybody.